1: Crosspoint. Glad that we can be together today. Naomi and I wish we could be with you in person, but realize some of that. Sometimes we don't get everything we want. And realize we've been in a challenging, uh you know, months, over a year already, and many people have experienced great difficulty, and in some cases, significant loss. Know that we are praying for you, uh, partnering with you on this side of the world, but often in your thoughts. And I know I appreciate the times where Rob and I, Pastor Rob and I can chat and and catch up and even be able to pray together at times. So know that you are in our thoughts. Um, Before I jump in into the talk today, uh, people often ask a few questions about what's it like here living in Thailand? What's different? And people often like animal pictures. So I'm going to show a couple just really quick for fun. Uh, Maybe some of them you've seen. I know for sure there's a couple new ones. Uh, But before, if you don't know, my name is Darren. My wife and I, uh, my wife's name is Naomi. We moved our family uh, as part of the Christian Missionary Line seven years ago uh, and uh, have been sent here. You have partners with us. You You are part of our Sending Church family. And so we're grateful for that. You see a picture here of where Phuket is. It's in the south, uh, south Little Island in the south of Thailand. It's beautiful, but also faces significant challenges. You've already sent a short-term team here, and I know they've, they've seen and been able to experience that. Here's an updated picture of us. Kids are growing up, we're getting gray hair, times are changing, but yet God is good, and there are a lot of things happening that we can give thanks and praise to God about. But here are some quick animal pictures. Because here's just some of the things that are just different, a new kind of normal. You need to know that 7-Elevens are everywhere in Thailand. You can get almost everything in a 7-Eleven. So much so that apparently a massive monitor lizard thought the same thing. You can see a picture here, this is just about a year ago, went viral a little bit. I'm Not sure what you do when you walk into a 7-Eleven and seeing that, hey, you want to buy some milk or some products on the shelf. And this guy has decided to park himself there. Anyways, don't know how they got him out of there, but again, a new kind of normal. People ask about snakes. Snakes is always a topic. You might have seen this one before. If not, it's rainy season here now. The streets flood. The snakes come out. They look for something warm. This car was actually in the parking lot of one of the local Thai churches, and I asked the pastor, what do you do when this happens? Like, how do you get rid of that guy? and he just said you just you just have a long lunch you just you just take your time and chill you you let it you let that car cool down and the snake will move along i don't know about you but um how do, I, how do I say this? So we're starting to get to the time where Naomi and I, where we get up during the night and then we, we go to the bathroom. I mean, that's too much information for a, for a Sunday morning. But Naomi has this habit where she turns on like a ton of lights and it's always kind of been annoying to me. And I was like, why, why are you doing that? Why are you turning on the lights? And she has to kind of expect the area first. Well, we found out that's actually good advice because check out this picture. This was just in the news a couple days ago. That is a cobra coming out of someone's toilet. So you ever come here turn on the lights before you go to the bathroom, it's apparently really, really important. We have not experienced that but again, it's a little bit different and people sometimes the next picture, people sometimes ask, you know, they talk about, uh, we've all seen Lion King, lions are the king of the jungle. Well, Over here, it's actually elephants. Elephants rule the jungle and while you might not see an elk or a bear cross the road, you might see uh, an elephant cross the road and uh, you just let them be. Because they can flip a card. They literally can do what they want. They're actually quite fast as well. And we know when we go camping that sometimes you have to hide your food and your meat because you don't want the bears to come or other wild animals. Well, this was in the news just maybe half a year ago as well. Apparently, this elephant liked what someone was cooking and liked it so much that he just pushed his head right through a cement wall and had an evening snack. And so elephants are kind of cool, but it's a little bit different here. Those are just fun. But again, we're not over here because there are different animals and they're neat and God's creation is wonderful. But we're here to follow Jesus' example. And that's this verse. It's our theme verse from Matthew 20, 28. It says that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for the many who are held hostage. And we do that as a church family there in Edmonton, here in Thailand, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of our neighborhoods, we follow the example of Jesus to be on mission. And this is our uh, vision statement as a project of the Christian Missionary Alliance as For Freedom International, is to break chains of oppression so that people have an opportunity to encounter Christ, live in freedom, and ultimately change the world. And here are just two quick slides of a collage. There's been so much that's been happening. I just got the slide up in front of me here from red light outreaches to salon ministry to building a safe house to Thailand's first South Thailand's first child advocacy center supporting exploited children and partnering with government and law enforcement the building of a preschool program for disadvantaged children Ex- expatriating um, trafficking survivors back to their home country decisions for Jesus you see a picture of baptism it's all some of the ways God has working has been working you can see in the next slide continues to grow there's now a fully operational ministry center the team had just begin to did the team that you sent had just began to see the beginnings and the formation of that a salon program, vocational training program, trainings with government. We've graduated our first class. Yes, COVID has slowed things down, but even now have just launched in the last year um, a fully functioning investigations team, which unfortunately with COVID, much exploitation has gone online It has become a little bit more challenging to identify. uh, But we now have social workers and trained investigators partnering very closely with international government agencies, and of course our our trusted Thai uh, national police and partners. So you can continue to be praying for them, but we do all of this because Jesus changes everything. And this is what we're going to talk about today. In light of Jesus changing everything, what does it mean for us to live a life of mission, on mission for Jesus? We're in this great series together as a church family. We're gonna be looking at mission today. What does that mean for us? So with that, big, big mouthful fast. I know. Let's take a breath. Let me pray, and we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for Crosspoint. Thank you for this church family that we get to be a part of, even across the distance and miles. Thank you that, that we can come to you together as men and women on mission for you. I just pray as we look at some text today from your word that you would grip our hearts, you would encourage us. Life is full of distractions currently, Lord. You know that. And so I just ask in Jesus' name, would you focus our minds, our ears, Lord, the things that you would have us hear, would people hear those? Things that I say that are a distraction that you don't want us to hear or remember, Lord, just strike those from our memory. Above all, would you give us opportunity to make your name more famous each and every day? as we seek to serve you. And we said, amen. Hey, we're going to start with this idea of obedience. Obedience is an interesting concept. We love it when we expect it of others. At least maybe 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 I'm speaking for myself, but we're we're not always so passionate about obedience when it's expected of us. Or maybe that's just me. I, I wish we were actually there together in person um, because I want to see people's faces and reactions. Maybe there's an elbow or a, or a secret jab. I, I know Naomi would probably jab me trying to make sure she's making a point like, hey, Darren, you better, you better listen to Rob. You better listen to the speaker now. The, the most famous verse when we're speaking about being on mission is, is often quoted as Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, we call this the Great Commission where Jesus gives all of his followers this clear mandate of what he expects all of us to do. But before we look at this command and how we might respond to it, I actually want to step up a little bit higher and perhaps look at what I would say is a foundational principle and context that this great commission command kind of comes out of for us. And that specifically is us looking at God's glory, the glory of God. So there's gonna be three sections that we're gonna look at. We're gonna be looking at this idea of God's glory as a significant foundation found in scripture. I'm gonna give a very quick definition of mission. And then we're gonna end looking at this this idea of obedience through the life of Noah. And I picked Noah because your short-term mission team had a significant impact on our team here. And it was because of this life of Noah. So let me jump in. Gonna go quite fast. I know I already do speak fast, but I want to be cognizant of time, Um, but also want to go through a bunch of verses really quickly to lay a foundation for our application at the end. So if you have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. Um, But the first point is this, that a primary theme throughout Scripture is that God alone deserves glory. And I heard this sermon from David Platt, and it might have been, I don't know, two years, three years ago, four years. It's been a while. But it, it this, was this whole, this whole idea he was talking about of, of how God exists to glorify himself. So I'm going to take some of his notes just for this beginning intro section and, and then expound on that with some verses here. And, and if you think of that phrase that God exists to glorify himself, you might think that seems a little odd at first when you first hear it, doesn't it? It's, a, it's a, perhaps a little off. Maybe it even sounds selfish. But if it makes you feel uncomfortable, let, let, let's consider this question. Who else would you have God glorify or exalt? Should it be you? Uh, should it be me? If there is anyone else other than God, that means that God is not worthy of all exaltation and praise. And so we see this theme theory, clearly throughout scripture. And so give me, let, me, let me just allow to pick a handful of verses to give some context to this. So in Genesis 12, they'll be on the, not the whole verses, but we're going to put a couple of the the text up on the screen for you just so you have them later. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, I I want to bless you, Abraham. Why? So that you will bless other nations and through through you blessing other nations, my goodness, my generosity, my glory will be known to other generations. And so he passes this on, this promise to his son Isaac in Genesis 26. And then it goes on to Jacob in Genesis 28, and it can keep, continues to go. And now we're in Exodus chapter 14. The Israelites, they've been under captivity in Egypt, and God is now leading his people out of Egypt. You, you might know that story. And so he's, doing, he's leading them out of Egypt, and Exodus 14 verse 4, it says, I am doing this, God says, "so that, to gain glory for myself. They will know, the Egyptians will know that he is Lord. J- just think about this. The Egyptians have just gone through um, terrible plagues. The Israelites have left. The Egyptians decide to uh, follow them. The Israelites get to the Red Sea. They think, oh no, what's going to happen? God opens the Red Sea. The Israelites cross through. The The Egyptians follow, and the Red Sea collapses on top of them. They know. Those Egyptians know who the great God of the universe is. Joshua 5 and 6 I'm not going to go into great detail, but, but if you think about this, this is amazing. Joshua, they, the Israelites have just entered the promised land, and they're thinking of themselves. We're going to finally receive our inheritance that God has promised us. And they come up to this massive, powerful city called Jericho. And it's time for the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about battles, especially if you watch Discovery Channel or History Channel, there's only a few options that the Israelites have, right? They could go over the walls. They could go under the walls. They could punch through the walls. They could do like a secret attack, kind of like a Trojan horse thing, or they could wait them out. Like they could literally starve out the city and wait until this city came up. And again, I'm no expert. That's just what the History Channel tells us. Um, but God shows up to Joshua and he says, okay, t- it's time, Joshua. It's time. We're going we're to do this. And jo- you know, Joshua's probably thinking, well, he can go over, You can go under, You can go through. I wonder what God's going to do. And, and, and God shows up and says to, to Joshua, he says, actually, Joshua, none of those five plans. I need you to break, I need you to break out some tunes. I, I gotta, you, you need to get the trumpet players. Uh, you need to get the worship singers going. You, you go, go tell them to do some scales and warm up. Now, if you're Joshua at this point, you're thinking, um... I don't know if that's such a good plan. I think we should probably get a second opinion. Because that's that's not that's not how you take a city. But God tells Joshua, no Joshua, the walls are coming down. If you do this, I am going to give you the city. So after 40 years of walking in the... walking of walking in the desert and waiting to get into the promised land, Joshua has to go have this awkward conversation with his army that's been prepping, say, guys, we're, we're not doing any of that stuff. Uh uh-uh. we're, we're actually going to stay in the background. We're going to let the worship leaders take charge because that's what God says. That's how he's going to break down the walls. Why did, why did God design the battle plan this way? He didn't have to do it this way. But he does what he always does. He orchestrates the plan so that in the end, when there is victory, absolutely everyone knows that only God deserves the glory because God is making a great name for himself. And there was nothing that those humans could have done to bring those walls down. It was the worship of God and following his plan for the sake of his purpose and for the sake of his glory. I mean, don't miss this. When those walls came down, it wasn't like the people were going, hey, Adria or Karen, worship leaders, like, hey, that was awesome. You hit that note. It brought chills to my, my like the back of my, the hair on the back of my neck. It was, it was just incredible how you were saying. No, no, it was none of that. It was likely face down worshiping God in awe and wonder of what he has done. Now in Daniel, let's just jump to Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into a fiery furnace and they don't just survive, but they have a conversation with another heavenly being. Why? So that that pagan king would give glory to God. We, we pick this up in Daniel 6. It's why, it's why Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den because the next morning, the, king, the king's like, Daniel, are you okay? Okay, He's just like, well, the, he, did, he didn't want to throw him in, but he ended up being throwing him in because he got tricked by making this law. Why does Daniel get thrown into a lion's den? So that the God of Daniel is worthy to be praised. It's all of Psalm 23. We we know this. The Lord is my what? He, he's my shepherd. I shall not want. He guides us, he guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? Why, why does he do this? We, we know this. For his name's sake. Why does God guide you and guide me for the sake of God's name? It's incredible. Psalm 67, let's keep going. It says, may God be gracious to you and shine his face upon you. Why should God be gracious to us? We know that he is and he's kind and loving, but why should he do this to us? It says this, so that his ways may be known on the earth and his salvation among all the nations. All over the prophets, we continue God's mercy time and time again is for God's glory. And this might be actually a really important verse chapter for someone today. If you're going through difficulty, just really hear these words, but we're going to land on the main point. And Isaiah 43, it says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The rivers will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned because I am the Lord, your God, and you are precious. Hear this, you are precious and you are honored. You are honored in my sight, he says, and I love you. Those are incredible words. Those are powerful words. Those are true words. But then he gets to verse 7, he says this, Because you are my people whom I have created for my glory. Ezekiel 36, 22. God is telling all he's done for his people, and what he's going to continue to do through his people, those who follow him. And he says this now in verse 22, "It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do all these things. It's not, it's not for your sake, Israel, but for the sake, but for the sake of my holy name." It says, "Which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show you the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the, I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord when I show myself holy. Through you before their eyes. God, God is basically saying, when He is blessing you, when He is blessing me, when He blesses us, it's not for your sake. Yes, we get the secondary benefit of it, but the primary benefit is it's for His sake, for His glory among all the nations. And it just keeps going and going and going. I encourage you to do a study of God's glory in his word. Only the Lord is worthy of praise and only his name is above every name and his desire is for the entire world to know that he alone is God and that he alone can save. And because of that, he alone is worth all glory and honor. And so now we get to the New Testament. So take a deep breath, just raise your shoulders up. And now here's just God God's been talking about this in the Old Testament and now he's inviting his people into his journey and his mission to do this. And he's so we know this in Matthew 28. It's the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go tell everyone in the end of your street, the end of your, end of your cities, your provinces, your your countries until the end of the world. In Mark 16 he says, now now bring my glory, but go and preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be preached to all generations, sorry, to all nations. It's what's behind Acts chapter 1 and 2, specifically Acts 1.8, which says you will receive power when the Spirit comes. This is incredible. The all-powerful, God of the universe, the all-powerful God of the universe, He He puts His Spirit in you, in us, those who choose to believe, who choose to believe and follow Him. That is, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, just think about that. The all-powerful God puts His Spirit into you as a follower of His. Why would He do that? So that we would go as He commands to the ends of the earth, to our cities wherever He places us, to our circles of influence, and tell everyone. Friends, to tell everyone that Jesus is alive, that Jesus saves, and that he's, that he's coming back again, and he's coming soon. So be ready, be on mission, and go and live a life for the sake of God's glory. This is Paul. Talking about going to Jerusalem, going to Judea, going to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. All of this leading to, the, to this chapter in Revelations chapter 7 where the world will exalt. It says the world is going to exalt the Lamb of the throne at the end of days when a great multitude from every nation are going to gather and they're going to glorify God by saying together this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, from cover to cover, the Bible is clear. God exists to make himself known among the nations, to among all people, because he alone is God and he alone is worthy of our praise. And, and what a blessing it is for you and I, those who choose to follow Jesus, to, to, to be chosen by him, to be saved by him, loved by him, empowered by his spirit, to go and do the very things the world says cannot be done to live miraculous lives of mission for the sake of his name and fame. Why? Why do these things happen? Because he exists to glorify him himself and he, and he wants us to be in relationship with him and to, to, to accept his saving grace for the sake of his mission and purpose. God deserves all glory. And here's why this is so important. Number one, just really simply, he is worthy of our worship. Our God is better, bigger, and completely satisfying. He is better than anything you could think of. He is bigger than anything you could think of. And he will completely satisfy all our needs. If you and I follow Jesus, if you have followed Jesus, you have sacrificed your, you, you have sacrificed your right to determine the direction of your life. Because it's not about our glory anymore. It's about his. And secondly, he is not just worth all of our worship. He is worth all of their worship as well. This is what drives everything in mission. This is why we live on mission in our neighborhood, neighborhoods. Because God is worth all of your neighbor's worship. This is why we serve and go to the ends of the earth. Because the ends of the earth, the world, his creation, is God is worth all of their worship as well. And people who believe this, who who really believe this to the core of their being, they will give their lives to make God's glory known. To make his glory known to the ends of the world. From countries, to cities, to, to neighborhoods, to the end of our fences. God's people live on mission for the sake of his glory. There is nothing better than this. To make Jesus more famous each and every day so that he would become more and we would become less. There is no greater purpose. There is no greater purpose that we could dedicate our entire lives to. So let me just give a quick definition with that as a backdrop, a quick definition of the mission of God. And I just took this from one of the commentaries, but I really like this this, this, uh, definition says this. That the mission of God is the commitment of God to make himself known to his creation, ultimately for the purpose of redeeming and restoring all creation to its right relationship with God. The story of God making himself known. The the story of God making himself known and thus us coming alongside his mission to make make God more known throughout the world by serving him is the grand narrative of the entire Bible. That's the story. That is the mission. So let me let me transition a little bit. Um, I'm going to move into a little bit of application, but sometimes people ask me, Darren, what does it look like to live a, to to look like to live a story, they say, to, to live a life that is worth talking about? And maybe that's a little weird, and I know that can sound selfish, but let's give this person the benefit of the doubt and consider this from a truly pure and altruistic point of view. They're saying, what does a life worth living look like? How, how do I live a story, a life marked by love, generosity, of servanthood, of, of living for others, of knowing joy in the midst of hardship? How, how do we live that kind of life? And this is what I love about the Bible. God is never trying to trick or confuse us, never and here's how we do this. Here is how we live a life on mission. Simply, we let God be the author of our story. We do what the author of Hebrews tells us. This is in Hebrews 12, verse 2. You can look it up later. It says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In fact, he says earlier, Jesus says earlier, if there's anything in your life, any hindrance that is taking away from your focus on Jesus says, throw it off. Not just, don't just throw it off, like tear it off, have urgency, get away from that. If anything is taking you away from Jesus, run from it and focus on the only true, perfect author of your life, Jesus Christ. And so here's the question, Are, are we willing to live that way? It's a little hard, isn't it, Um, to say yes to the author and perfecter of our faith who wants to write a story, his story, for the sake of his glory with our lives if we let him. And he he only asks us ever to take the first step. And I say it was hard originally because sometimes we think about, man, what I have to think about the end game. No, we don't. We're going to look at that right away. We have to look at the next step. So as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but be reminded of the team that you guys sent to us in Phuket. And I want want to re-watch the highlight video from that right now, and then I'll come back and continue to make a few comments on that. It's an opportunity to change the next generation.
2: God, how do we bring the gospel to a nation like this?
1: Even before the trip, God was speaking to my heart about um, stepping out
0: and becoming more of who he made me to be. learning how to live in his community. We all need each other. We need to remain in community and that will strengthen us for discipleship.
2: He's called people from all over the world to come minister there. He drew people from Australia, um, the United States, uh, from Canada, uh, from Sweden. Some of their stories that we heard in terms of like how they came there was almost, it was a supernatural type of thing.
0: You see the work that they've done in FFI and and there's no, possible way they could have done that just by being there and by virtue of being themselves if god had not guided their footsteps
2: it's like uh building an ark on dry land is what it is and they call people all over the world to be doing this and it seems ridiculous at times to be to be doing that type of thing because you look at the task and it is so mammoth is what it is
0: it's an opportunity for us to be less about us and more about somebody else so I thought this was one way to kind of be exposed to, to what missions it is and what it looks like and hopefully have an understanding of what it means to, to talk about Christ to people. And it's not as complicated as you think it is. And it's not as scary as you think it is.
2: God's given you a talent. I don't know whether it's going to be to be supporting like the Thailand Ministries, what's going on there, or whatever it is perhaps in your in your local community here, or he's building arcs all over the world. He's calling you to be part of that.
1: Watch that video, and it's still actually quite emotional for me for a team. In many ways, this was a prophetic reminder to us, given to us by God through people who you sent who obeyed to go on this trip across the world. And what what was this reminder? Number one, that it is difficult to be on mission. There are obstacles and challenges, persecution, and hardship that come, come the way of a follower of Christ. But number two was this, and I and I love the, I love the I love the the imagery that we had here, and it was this, that God is building arcs, and he's doing it all over the world. And it was really profound. He does it in our neighborhoods, our cities, our countries, the world, and he is calling you and I to be part of this. And I don't know how many hits that video has on YouTube, probably not very many, but can I just say it was pro- half of them are probably me. Because to this day, every two, three months, I still watch it. And that team, that video still encourages me to be living a life on mission wherever God has me. So there are many examples that we could pick of, you know, what applications we want to use from stories. But because your team had this image of Noah, I want to stick with Noah because it was important for me as well. So what can we learn from Noah? An example of faith and obedience. So this is in Genesis 6, verses 5 to 8. Just a, just a quick recap. We're not going to go that. Many of you know the story, but the, basically the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was, was so great that he needed, a, he needed a do-over. He needed to start over. It says, The thoughts, the thoughts of humanity were only evil continually. And all this evil it grieved God's heart, and he needed to bring judgment. And he know, we know that he was going to do this through a flood. In verse 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And so Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, this, this undeserved kindness. And, God, and, he, and, and Noah persevered, and Noah and his family, as a representative of the human race, um, Through him, through Noah and his family, God begins again. And so here are three applications for us. Really simple, not rocket science, but really practical for us today. Number one is this. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You and I find the same grace when we choose to follow and give our lives to Jesus. What was special about Noah? Nothing that we know of. Except that he simply heard the voice of God and he responded. Verse 9 says, he was a righteous man. Why, why was he righteous? Simply because he walked faithfully with God. Period. Like, that's it. No secret process. God spoke. He obeyed. He obeyed. Romans 10 tells us, for this is for us today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Positionally, our, our, our position in heaven is secured. And now God calls us to live out our faith day by day. It's the same for Noah. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Number two, Noah was chosen to be a channel of salvation to others. Noah was chosen not only for salvation, but to build an ark that would be a vehicle of salvation to whoever would listen. This is the great commission at work. Not, not only has God saved you, but God has saved you and called you to empower you to be a channel of salvation to others, to, of his love to a broken and hurting world. This is repeated over and over throughout scripture. God still uses us today for his purpose. I was reminded of John chapter 15. This idea of Jesus talking about the vine and the branches, of how we are connected with Jesus and that he empowers us as we get this life in us. And it says this in verses 5 to 8. You might know this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, for this brings great glory to my Father. There's the theme of glory again. We didn't even talk about it earlier. Coming out of that is point number three. Noah had to dramatically rearrange his priorities. So not only does God extend us grace and he uses us as a channel of salvation to others, but Noah and us have to dramatically rearrange our priorities. After God tells Noah what's going to happen, what were, those mo- what were those next moments like? Have you ever thought that? God speaks to Noah, gives him the update, gives him the plan. What were those next minutes? I don't think he could go on with life as normal. Imagine the difference from this point on and how Noah saw the world. Every person he saw that had not chosen to follow Jesus, he knew that, or had not chosen to follow God, he knew was heading to a reckoning. The house that he had built wouldn't be there for very long. Everyone he knew would either be saved on the ark or destroyed in the flood. Noah's adjustment, I believe, was not just a slight adjustment. It was a whole new way at looking at the world. The mission Jesus calls us to is not just a slight adjustment in our lifestyle. It's not just a tweak. It's not just a little thing. He is calling us to dramatically rearrange our priorities. Do you believe this? And I have to ask myself, am I taking it that seriously? If so, it won't. It can't be business as usual for you and I. It will become a radical reorientation of our entire lives towards his mission, to be, to live a life on mission. And so I'm left with this question. I feel the Holy Spirit convict me personally, and perhaps this would be something for you. I think it'll be on the screen. A reflection question. Darren, do you see the world, cross point, do you see the world with eyes of urgency for the sake of those who do not yet know Jesus? Are you willing to dramatically rearrange your life's priority for the sake of God's glory? I know many of you have. You as a church are on mission or being intentional, but this is just a great heart check, isn't it? Each and every time. We are in a place similar to Noah. Let me wrap this up here. Like Noah, followers of Jesus have been given something to build. Noah was told to build an ark. When Jesus left, he tells his people to go build the church. Whenever God wants to do something on earth, he gives people something very specific he wants them to build. He didn't say to Noah, Noah, guess what? Flood's coming. You better figure out what to do. No. He tells them. He gives them a plan. He told Noah to build an ark. And he gave him very precise instructions. The church is the New Testament equivalent of an ark. I'm not talking about a building, but God's people. You will build my church. I don't want to overstate this. um, But I don't want to minimize this either. God left one institution on earth. It's in Acts 1 and 2. It's the body of believers. Men and women committed, sold out to Jesus, and the glory of the Father, and he calls us, we are the church. So my question is, are you ready to take that next step that Jesus is asking of you? If you can, you might even be like me, you, you kind of feel it growing inside of you, you know that God is asking, and this little pressure, and well, friends, we're not even around you, the worship team is there, I'm not there, Pastor Rob's not there, that is the Holy Spirit beginning to build something in you, or, or maybe there's nothing, and you're just like, Jesus, I, I, I'm a little afraid to ask, I would, I would challenge you to ask, challenge you to respond. Imagine if you if you like imagining, I often have things like in a movie scene in my brain. Imagine standing with Noah, looking out at your doorway. What does he see? What do you see? A city you love, neighbors you love, kids playing, people going to work, going about everyday life. And some of them just don't know the time is ticking. How can he, Noah, how can we do Nothing. This is a real mission that demands urgent attention and radical commitment. People's lives depend on it. Their eternities depend on it. Maybe we don't talk that way all the time anymore, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It is very, very true. Are we living? Am I living? Are you living with urgency, with radical commitment? Let me just say this. Because sometimes it just feels impossible. It does to me at times. But you and I don't need to have the faith to finish the race, whatever that is, way at the end. We just need to have the faith to take the next step that Jesus is asking today. Remember, Hebrews 12 too. Jesus is the author and protector of our faith. In Hebrews 11, this this great chapter of faith of these men and women who have done these incredible things and they've been recognized in scripture because of it. And one of the stories is, is about Abraham. It says this, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. We just said that Jesus is the author and perfecter. Uh, he's the author and perfecter of the faith. He is the author. He knows the end from the beginning. That is his role. Our role is to respond to him in obedience, to go, to build an ark wherever God has us, to make his name more famous each and every day for the sake of his glory. There is no greater thing than you and I could ever do to accept, than to live a life on mission. For the sake of god's glory know that i'm praying for you that naomi and i pray for you and specifically today in the light of the craziness of the world our command from jesus hasn't changed but i'm praying that you would know the power of the living christ in you so that you would live a life a supernatural kind of life on mission for the sake of jesus for the sake of his hope for his love his glory in a world that is looking for something more than what they currently have. I love you, Crosspoint. I miss you. Praying for you. Would you know his great love and power today? Until he calls us home, be on mission for him. See you soon.